Live to tape. Welcome to Millennial Season 3, Episode 37. I'm Andrew. I'm Elisa. I'm Laura. And I'm Matt. Well, we're going to have to start today's episode uh, with the Vegas news, but we will have fun this week. We promise. Talk about some fall TV. We can't promise that anymore, though. I feel like something's probably going to happen during this recording. No, we'll, we'll talk about some good news from the Supreme Court so far. We'll talk about sleeping, all of our favorite thing, and uh, a lot more on today's episode, including the return of Fuck Off, Cupid. I'm so so excited. (laughs) (laughs) So let's start with the Vegas news. Um, This terrible shooting happened Sunday night at a country music festival. It's became the worst mass shooting in modern U.S. history. 58 people were killed, more than 500 injured. To put that into perspective, the last worst mass shooting in modern U.S. history was the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando. 49 people had died. Uh, We don't know much about the shooter yet concerning his motive. We know he was a desert dweller living in a retirement home. And I don't know about you guys, but I woke up to the news Monday morning and I was just so, so sad seeing that push notification about 50 people being dead. It it hit me because I've been to Vegas so often um, and just the way that this guy carried it out was absolutely terrifying. Being over 30 floors up in the air, shooting across the Vegas Strip from two vantage points. It took police 72 minutes to get to him, which I want to talk about in a little bit after we get to Trump's comments. Um, He was just in such a perfect position to pull it off. And all the weapons he had, all the ammunition he had, it's just scary and depressing. This shooting hit me worse than the Pulse one. And I was trying to think why that was, because the Pulse one happened at a gay nightclub. Obviously, I identify with with the people who were at that club. And I realized a couple of things. One, just the way this guy carried carried the shooting out, uh, being unable to be captured for so long, planning this out so well. And then B, the fact that we have an administration now who doesn't care. At least when Pulse happened, we knew Obama had our backs. But with Trump, we know that... He's not going to do anything, and Congress is not going to do anything. If Congress can't, a, a Republican led Congress can't get health care fixed by their standards, they're sure as shit not going to be able to get anything together concerning gun control. Right. And to be honest with you, almost five years ago at this point, uh, Congress decided that little children getting murdered wasn't enough to have us change gun laws in this country. So I don't see it happening anytime soon. Um, As a matter of fact, there are enough guns in this country for every man, woman, and child that lives in it. Uh, So 
I don't know what we do. I don't know legally what we could do. I feel like what we have here is a hundred year problem. And we have sort of painted ourselves into this corner of having to always be on the defense and, you know, teaching little children that they need to be prepared to have their fucking school put on drill just in case somebody comes in and tries to shoot them rather than take, quote, rights away from so-called responsible gun owners. I'm really angry about it. And to be quite frank, I grew up in the South. I've always had very moderate feelings on guns in terms of, you know, I agree the Second Amendment is, you know, as valid as any other amendment. And I don't have a problem with people owning guns uh, as long as they are safe about it and they keep them in their fucking houses. I don't see why you have to take them with you places. It makes you a fucking asshole. Um, but at this point, I've just lost my patience for it. Anytime yeah. I see somebody walking around with that shit, I just feel compelled to go up to them and be like, why the fuck do you need that? Who's trying to murder you? Yeah, it's just really I mean, at this point, it's just really sad, at least for me, because we've gone past the point where it's the time to do something about gun control and now we're just honestly we're just waiting for everybody who has been uh, against gun control and for the second amendment to be in one of these mass shootings just like one of the the performer during the shooting who was a big supporter of the second amendment is now saying no now we need gun control yes and um it really hurts just to hear that because you had to wait until you were actually in a mass shooting to have a moment of clarity. Like that's what it takes. I think that one of the, um, something that we, we, that we as a country tend to get wrong after tragedies like this is to fall into this cycle of feeling as though there's really nothing we can do because we know that federally we have the cards stacked against us. Um, particularly now with President Trump being very pro-gun, pro-Second Amendment. It's like, oh, God, what do we do? Um, Maybe there's nothing to do. Maybe we just get very upset and um, try to educate citizens and yada, yada. But I think there's a couple of important facts from this case in particular that should point us in the right direction. Number one, it should be noted that assault, or I'm sorry, automatic weapons, automatic weapons were already banned. They are not legal in this country, and they've not been legal for decades. And so the fact that this guy had an automatic weapon is does not speak to our gun laws, to be fair, because those, those have already been banned, and, and, and the fact that he had such a thing is illegal under our current laws. Um, but however, what is notable is that this gunman had something that is called a bump stock, a bump stock is a device that you attach to a semi-automatic, a semi-automatic, which are not banned, by the way. Mm-hmm. And you attach a bump stock to a semi-automatic, and it effectively makes it an automatic. The difference between those two things, by the way, between having a semi-automatic, which is legal, and an automatic, which isn't, is the difference between being able to shoot off 10 rounds at once and 100 rounds at once. And so uh, it's a big difference in terms of the potential for for injuring and and killing other people. And so the bump stock is something that is legally sold 
also that needs to be banned and that needs to be highly regulated. I mean, banned obviously, but it needs to be something that we hold like the ATF, for example, accountable for tracking down. Um, I mean, if we can have a war on drugs in this country at a national level, there's no reason we can't track down some fucking bump stocks and get rid of those too. Uh, So that's the first thing is that I think it's really critical to look at specifics in cases like this. It's very easy for all of us, for the country to say gun control, gun control. But what does that mean? What do you mean by gun control? There are 500 different types of guns and not all of them are created equal. And we already have laws that outlaw some of them. So if you want to affect actual change, first you have to know what we're specifically talking about. And I think that in this case, the bump stock creating an automatic weapon out of a semi-automatic is critical. That needs to be the takeaway, in my opinion, from this. If we want to like actually like point to something we can change, there's one thing. There's one thing right there. The second part of this, I think, is that we have to stop just we have to stop thinking about things on a national level all the time. We have states and they're there for a reason. Oftentimes when we speak in when we speak about policy like this, gun control, we speak in generalities, like I said, gun control, whatever that means. And we only look to like one person to do it for us. And that's the president. But you have governors, you have state legislatures. And more often than not, the most important and influential legislation that that this country adopts began somewhere else in a state. And so if you want to do something and you feel like, oh, the, the hope is lost under the Trump administration, fine. But it might not be where you live. It might not be in your state. Do something there. 2018 is mm-hmm. just around the corner. Mm-hmm. I want to read a couple of comments coming in on Patreon. We are streaming live there. Thanks to everybody who's listening on this Tuesday night. Sarah, who lives in Vegas, she's uh, known her for a while, Sarah Steelman. She says, Vegas has been so incredibly helpful and supportive since Sunday. Waits for blood donation is four to six hours long. So many volunteer mental health counselors, over two million donated to the main GoFundMe page for the victims all of us are just showing how great this town is. Pauline also brings up an interesting thought I've been thinking about as well. She says, what I think is interesting is that this must change the argument that regular, regular armed people could defend themselves against the shooter if they have access to a gun. I don't know if Las Vegas has open carry laws, but this just proves that even if a bunch of the victims were armed, there was literally nothing they could do. The panic and where the shooter was located just wouldn't have been an option to defend against. I could be wrong. I'm not American. Just my thoughts. So what made the shooting so unique is, like I said, he was up on the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay shooting across the strip. Like a as, sniper. As you can, right. As you can imagine, the Las Vegas Strip is not a little road. It's four or five lanes each way, especially in that area. So to be up in a hotel shooting across the strip into a, a, a festival is insane. And like I mentioned earlier, it took them 72 minutes from shots fired to get into his hotel room. They had to figure out where he was shooting from. Once they did that, uh, they had to figure out what floor... 
And this is all under the cover of darkness as well, so it's not as easy to see where the hell this guy is shooting from. It is a long time. An hour and 12 minutes it took for them to get into the hotel room. Could they have done this better? Do I think they took too long? Given the circumstances, no, of course not. But Trump's remarks over the past day have made it sound like, thank God they were so quick because more people would have lost their lives. Yeah, well, that's the whole administration's response. Well, I completely disagree. I think this is as bad as it could get. The, The idea that all these people attending this music festival, if they had weapons... Uh, this wouldn't have happened. You know, you can't make that argument here because these are that, that's a public popular Republican argument. Oh, well, if everybody had guns, we'd be able to reduce gun violence. Uh, no. And this is a perfect example of that, because just the, what everybody going to pull out their pistols and start shooting into the darkness until they somebody in the off chance hits a guy across the strip. Of course not. This and guy, most of the people there said that they didn't even know it was a gun. They thought it may have been fireworks. Yeah, and plus everyone's drunk. This is a country music festival in Vegas. 22,000 people were at this event. Well, what's really upsetting from a lot of these other news sources, like Fox and other, they they try to go, they try to have the rhetoric of blaming the hotels and the hotel security. About uh, saying, I hope they're why, not saying that because that's no, they are. They're they're saying like, why? How did a man bring all of this kind of firearms undetected to a Las Vegas uh, hotel? Like, <laughs> should we focus on the security? And I'm, and no. it's just they're trying to find other ways to just get around discussing gun control. Like uh, Sarah yeah. Huckabee says, it's not the time to talk about gun control. Let's just applaud our first responders who did did an amazing job but that's we're not a, we shouldn't be restricted to only having one conversation and focus because this is just going to keep happening yeah and in terms yeah. of how he could have gotten 19 weapons up into his room plus all that animation can you if you whether or not you've been to vegas you can probably imagine how insane vegas hotel lobbies are because there are also casinos on that level there's so much shit happening i could probably drag a dead body through a vegas hotel lobby and nobody would even think twice about it oh he's just passed out there's so much weird shit happening me and my friends once took a margarita mixer straight up into our room and nobody batted an eye just weird stuff is happening in vegas all the time also, it's not like he was carrying them over his shoulder <laughs> right. out in the open. I mean, he had them in bags. If this was premeditated enough that he was able to, um, you know, basically fix up a semi-automatic and create an automatic out of it and, and have all of these firearms, what have you, it was premeditated enough for him to get past the, the concierge. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not yeah. – that's a ridiculous standard to hold any hotel to. Yeah. yeah. But I'm pretty sure just... we're, we're going to see like a TSA security line for hotels now before we talk anything about gun control or access to guns. I guess I I I don't think you're wrong, but like, is every damn hotel in the in the nation going to start rolling something out like that, or maybe just focus it on big cities that have events? Like, I can't imagine what New Year's Eve on Vegas is in Vegas is going to be like from or New here Year's on Eve out at, at any like main metropolitan city. Well, right, but in Vegas, they shut down the Strip, and people can walk out onto it. You can just walk around on the Strip New Year's what Eve. What about Times Square? Yeah, yeah, right. Like fish in a barrel. But yeah, exactly. Like, it's always been that situation. 
Yeah, well, now there's uh, now, now there's like a chance somebody sh- might shoot from above. I mean, yeah. this guy conducted this like he's playing uh, uh, Grand Theft Auto. I used to climb up on top of Griffith Observatory and shoot people below me from Griffith mm-hmm. Observatory because it's a high perspective. Sorry, I know that's dark, but that that's what my mind immediately went to. Well, like, I also, feel like he was inspired by a video game in the way he plotted this. We don't really know because even the the family of the shooter was have has been dumbfounded and flabbergasted by his action. This has been too much for me. It 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 hit me so hard. I was having having a bad mental health day yesterday, and I just needed multiple naps and like to avoid social media. I I now have Vegas banned from my Twitter feed. I can't look at it all. It's all just too sad. I may ban the word Trump from my Twitter feed too. Because I, I'm just tired of all this shit. My head can't handle it anymore. Anything else we want to say about this before moving on? No, I don't think so. Um, but I did want to talk about um now that Donald Trump has brought the love of bounty. And by bounty, I mean like the quicker picker upper to Puerto Rico. Um, the Puerto Rican people can now just pull themselves back together after experiencing a Category 5 hurricane rip okay. their island apart. Yeah. I don't know if you guys saw this. Trump literally went to a church and tossed rolls of paper towels into the crowd like they were basketballs. Yeah. Fun. Fun giveaway. Like, the fuck? This is not the fucking Celebrity Apprentice, you dipshit. Yeah. This isn't a baseball game where you shoot t-shirts out to the audience. Yeah. Canela agrees. She's real pissed. (laughs) (laughs) Real pissed. All right. Well, we'll get to some other news. But first, I want to touch on a lighter topic. Fall TV is starting up again. And one old classic has returned. Will and Grace is back. Matt, did you... Were you a fan back when it was originally airing? I was. Oh, were you? Yeah, I mean, I didn't I didn't watch Will and Grace religiously, but I watched it often enough to like, you know, I I followed I followed it when I could. And it was I don't know. It I I loved it cuz it was funny, of course, but I also thought it was a game changer culturally for yeah. the way that it really normalized um just gay people in the LGBT community. Um, I don't think anything before or since has done as much good. I mean, anything, anything television wise, I guess I should say has done as much good as Will and Grace did. I even have like personal family members who like were a little iffy on the issue and they watched that show. And I, I watched before my very eyes, how it opened them up to, to the idea of LGBT rights. Yeah. So did you watch the new episode? I haven't yet. No. Mm. I I've been I've been waiting to watch it with a couple of friends who who are also big Will and Grace fans. So mm-hmm. I haven't seen it yet. Is it good? Um I, I, I heard oh, it's very, I heard it's very political. It is very political. And I think that was why like I am I'm semi hopeful and excited about this new like reboot of the series but um 
I really hope they don't continue to be political. Uh, so I never watched Will and Grace back when it was originally airing, but um, I did watch this new episode because of all the hype around it. And yeah, it was funny. It was a little too political, I thought. Like, if any Trump fans are watching this, they are definitely not watching after this episode because it was just, it was like nonstop. I'm not a fan of that. But I, th- I felt also like the jokes were a little, like, dated already. Like, none of the jokes that they did had any in Laura's or in Laura's, in Elisa's vocabulary. It didn't have any nuance. It's okay, Matt. We're women, so we're all the same. You're married. It's hard to tell. (laughs) I've heard that the next couple of episodes return to quote-unquote like normal Will and Grace, so we'll just have to... That'll be nice. Hold out hope, yeah. Um, I did go back and watch some old episodes. I like it. It's kind of shocking how gay it is. Oh, I loved it. Like growing up watching this show, it was really like the the only outlet I had until Queer as Folk came out. But like even that, I couldn't watch that in front of my family or anything. I actually met um, Sean Hayes, who plays Jack on Will and Grace uh, about a month ago. And I I just told him that um, that you were one of my best friends growing up on TV. Oh, and it, it mean, and it was true. Like it's really, it's. I mean, it was incredibly stupidly cheesy for me to say, but uh, you know, there's for some people there are shows that are more than just you know entertainment. Like they, they are like your outlet. Speaking of fall TV, you asked on Twitter, what are your must-watch fall TV shows for your fellow listeners? I thought our listeners could make recommendations to other listeners. Um, Jonathan says The Good Place If you're looking for a comedy And This Is Us If you're looking for a drama I've heard very good things about both shows Um, (laughs) Jemima says Scandal and Law & Order SVU That shit is still going strong I miss SVU It's not gone No I know And as she says that shit is still going strong That show used to be so therapeutic to me don't take that yeah. the wrong way. I'm not like identifying with the, with the. Yeah, uh, but Chris Maloney left, and I was like, <laughs> bye. Yeah, but Olivia Benson is still there, and that's yeah. that's she's always. I can't masturbate her. Day. Oh, I see. <laughs> Molo Yolo says Riverdale. That's a CW show. I haven't watched it yet, but also heard good things. It's based off of the Archie comics. Yeah, and like they have like a, like a mystery murder, plot. I'm. At least that's what I think it is. The Archie guy's hot. I'd watch just for him. Yeah, he's actually he's also um, from New Zealand. He's a new he's like a New Zealand native, hmm. and they just turn him into a ginger white kid, which is great. Howboy Cat says Bojack Horseman. That's a Netflix original. Season four just came out in September. Bojack's amazing. It yeah. has gotten I, so good. I love season. Bojack. Every fucking season, it's been like, whoa. Yeah, that's it's animated too, and that's like the only animated show I'm into right now. For adults. what you don't watch Rick and Morty? I don't, but I've also heard amazing things about that. My yeah. brother's obsessed. Oh god, this past season's been phenomenal. You have to watch it. Yeah. Uh, Brittany says the blacklist. Tiara says the Good Doctor. That is a new show. I believe starring Freddie Highmore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just got picked up for a full season. 
So that seems like that's going to be around for a while. <laughs> so there you go. There are some suggestions. Anything else that anybody would recommend briefly? I would recommend on HBO, there's a new animated series by uh, Jeff Kroll called Big Mouth. Oh, it's not HBO. Sorry. It's on Netflix. That's Netflix, yeah. And uh, it's, it's very TVMA, but it really <laughs> deals with like children who are adolescents coming into their sexual awakening, but they're all like voiced by these amazingly comedic, a lot of stand-up comedic actors. And it's, I mean, it's great. I fucking love it. Laura, any shows you would recommend on the internet or otherwise? Yeah. It's not a fall show per se, but I just finished watching glow on Netflix (gasps) and it was amazing. And I loved it so much. It's so good. And the soundtrack, you have to uh, go on Spotify because yeah, it's true. The soundtrack is amazing. Um, So yeah, I would highly recommend that Uh, it stands for gorgeous ladies of wrestling for anyone who didn't know. Um, It's incredible. Just do it. I really thought, I was throwing you a <laughs> transition pitch that I thought you were going to hit out of the park. What? But... What are you talking about? Well, in our next show note here is Landy Plug. And you were like, well, it's oh. not a fall show. <laughs> I was like, oh, here it comes. This is it. She's going to hit it. Uh... I'm, I'm not that in a thousand today, apparently. But you should also watch the Landy show. Uh, this is mine and Andrew's little uh bi-monthly show that we do on patreon where we talk about everything from like you know butt plugs to apple iphone releases to donald trump fucking up so it's kind of uh just a lot of the same stuff we do on millennial except a more casual feel and just mine and andrew's take on it we exclude uh elisa and matt which i think is helpful so it's a better part of the show yes yeah it is. I don't I'm know. Glad you can recognize that, Elisa. It's... I think we can do much better, but like, do we really want to shame him again? Let's have a challenge. Let's just. I, I I don't know. I feel like we should give him this. Okay. Well, you we'll guys go. are they, gonna. They need, they need an ego yeah. boost. That's fine. You guys are gonna have to compete with some serious cleavage coming from Laura in the most recent episode. <laughs> I was. Staring I cannot the whole... compete with that. <laughs> I asked him freely. <laughs> Uh, it mostly it was mostly bad because so i'm recovering from a cold and i was coughing like crazy during the episode so i was like leaning down and like coughing and hacking trying not to cough into the camera and every time you cough they probably have a nice little bounce to them (laughs) yeah (laughs) something like that yeah she was pulling tissues out of her cleavage it was kind of sexy actually (laughs) she turned into a kleenex box anyway that's on patreon.com slash Millennial. I also nerded out about the SNES Classic because I did. You just sell use my body to sell. Yeah. Our sh- oh, okay. Up, Laura. Yeah. You probably loved every I'm, second of it. I am proud of that. <laughs> I'm proud we can do that here. Can't do that with Mike on MuggleCast. I'll tell you that much. It's I true. was breastfed. <laughs> <laughs> so Elisa, last week we talked about the. Supreme Court starting their fall term, and we're kind of off to a good start already. I hope so. I'm so excited. I, there are a <laughs> few things that I look forward to more in any given calendar year than the start of the Supreme <laughs> Court session. And I have just been following all the oral arguments, and there's just such a great docket this season. Um, but 
like we talked about last episode, um, what's happening right now, like when the, pretty much the first case that they have heard this year is Gill versus Whitford. And this is all about gerrymandering. And as we talked about before, this is really going to completely shape our democracy um, for generations forever, potentially, because it's going to decide whether or not it's constitutional to gerrymander districts to favor one political party. Um, Good news. I mean, cautiously optimistic, keep your fingers crossed. The swing vote in this case, as with many cases, is Justice Kennedy. And they heard their oral arguments in this case yesterday. And Justice Kennedy seemed to indicate that he was leaning more towards the liberal view of this and against gerrymandering. Uh, one of the one of the best ways to 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 drive that point home is the fact that he asked like sixteen separate questions of the lawyers defending gerrymandering, but didn't ask a single question to the folks who were trying to strike it down. That's a very good sign because what that means is that all the questions that Kennedy has about gerrymandering and its constitutionality have largely been answered and he's kind of okay with them, but he's really confused about the argument in favor of gerrymandering. This is sort of a telltale classic um, harbinger of how a justice is going to vote is who they ask questions of more. It's always been that way. Uh, And the fact that he asked way, way more questions of those defending gerrymandering, but none of those against it is a pretty good sign. I think Um, at one point, he grew really frustrated with the defense and said, I don't even think you've answered my question. (laughs) That was my favorite part. (laughs) (laughs) So God bless him for that because he's just, you know, calling a spade a spade. Um, And, you know, moving away from, so that's, that's great news because for international listeners or anyone who doesn't know the Supreme Court is comprised of nine justices Right now, we have four pretty conservative ones, four pretty liberal ones, and then Justice Kennedy is the swing vote. And so how a case is decided really does come down to him, particularly here. But, no, last thing, that being said, um, where, where is it? So Justice Sotomayor said, uh, could you tell me what the value is to democracy from political gerrymandering? And Miss Murphy, one of the lawyers who's representing the defense of gerrymandering, said, this is an actual quote, quote, gerrymandering produces values in terms of accountability that are valuable so that the people understand who isn't and who is in power, end quote. I'm sorry, were they questioning Sarah Palin? Yeah. Right? What the fuck kind of word salad is that? If anyone can tell me what that even means, then I'll put your ass on the Supreme Court because I don't understand what the fuck she's saying. <laughs> yeah. I really do love this, uh, of Justice Kennedy's role in this because I think it's like the step in the right direction for for this country, at least politically, because this gerrymandering is not a liberal and conservative issue i i i don't i don't understand how either party could not be against gerrymandering no you're right and to that point actually even this conservative justices who indicated that they were really on the fence about this case and probably not gonna vote 
um, in our, well, in my favor and what I believe is right. Even they said their problem isn't that they agree with gerrymandering. They all said Alito, um, Clarence Thomas, um, uh, and, and Kennedy, of course, they all said, we don't like gerrymandering. We do not see why this is a, why this is fair or why this is right. The problem is just like we were talking about last week, how do we make a constitutional argument against it? And how do you determine when a district has or hasn't been gerrymandered? What's the de- what's the definition of that? Is there a statistical evaluation we can make? Because sometimes, sometimes normal districts do just have weird shapes and that's just how it how it naturally falls. Mm-hmm. So you can't use a weird shape necessarily as your indicator. You have to have some kind of statistical application something that you can something that that really encompasses gerrymandering in a fair meaningful and objective way and all of them said no we hate gerrymandering the problem is one we don't know how to strike it down on constitutional basis and two how do you define it in a way that that lets us strike it down so mm-hmm. we'll see what happens here but i'm cautiously optimistic that kennedy will vote against gerrymandering yeah like how could how could they change it though like would would it be more constitutional if they just did it symmetrically almost like uh like latitude and longitude it's more about population and more about the number of people in each district and whether or not you're basing it off of pure numbers and nothing else i think that's probably largely considered to be the most objective and fair way of doing it you mm-hmm. shouldn't care. You shouldn't care what, you know, backgrounds or, or incomes or circumstances people come from. That's why you want a good mix of those things. You want a good mix so that the person that's elected to represent that district is representative of those interests. Um, but I, but I I'm know. sure that that this is a problem in like very specific certain areas. Like, I'm sure it's not an issue with every state and every ca- no. uh, county in the country. Like, I'm like, like DC or uh, Atlanta or, 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 I mean, specifically like the Southern states, I feel is where gerrymandering is more prolific. In. Well, that's case- not true. I mean, you look at Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. And like Detroit. Right. And the case to, like Laura said, the uh, Gil v. Whitford, what we're talking about here is based all out of Wisconsin. So um, it's it's not everywhere, but it is everywhere. If that makes if that makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, we'll keep an eye out on on this. It usually takes a few months, or at least a couple of months, for a ruling to come out. So, Indrani, who's listening live, says the rest of y'all excited about fall TV shows and Elisa fangirls about the Supreme Court. Adorably predictable dork. <laughs> I love hearing Elisa talk about dockets yeah. and oral arguments. I think it's hilarious how Elisa is labeled the dork talking about politics in comparison so to passionate. talking about fall television. <laughs> She's so passionate. It's beautiful. I I am a firm believer in our judicial system. And it's like one of the first classes I ever took that got me into government was like, um, Supreme Court case law. It was like a whole year of Supreme Court case law. So 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Law, yeah, blah, yeah, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Stranger Things all comes right, back later right. this month. Stop That's all yeah. about us. Let's pivot to another topic in our world. Sleeping. Should kids get a later school start time? And I'm talking specifically about middle school and high schoolers. A new study says yes. And there's an opinion piece in the New York Times I want to talk about uh, backing up the argument that they that schools should start later. But first, I want to ask you guys, what was your experience in middle school or high school? What times do you guys remember getting up in the morning to make it to school? Six. You got up I at six? I, every I day. At, I think I got up at 6.30. And what time does school start? What time do you have to um, catch a bus? All that. I don't remember middle school well enough to say. I think high school started at 8.10. Or it might have been seven fifty. It was one of those two. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I think it was like around eight o'clock. I would wake up at six. I had a thirty minutes to just lay on the couch with a blanket, have some cereal, and watch TV. Then I would get ready. I had to leave at seven, and then we would get to school. My mom would drop me off at school at seven thirty, and then I would have thirty minutes to just sleep until to, class started to I jump into the school pool because in palm springs california it's like 100 degrees at 8 a.m yeah there is a pool I mean, really? a couple of them. Uh, i guess that's not a surprise for recreational purposes uh for me uh i would get up i think there were some mornings i was getting up at 5 30 to get ready to do the morning show at my high school but school started at 8 20 i believe homeroom was 8 20 at 8 30 and start of day announcements and all that um, so I was usually up by, I, alarm went off at six. I think I'd lay in bed till six fifteen, six twenty. I remember some mornings in the dead of winter going out and waiting for the bus and it's just pitch black still. The sun still hadn't come up and you hop onto that bus and it's like a, it's a, it's a freaking sanctuary. It's an igloo in the middle of the desert. Um, but the reverse of that, because it was really cold, but the bus was really hot inside. It was just like, oh, my God, sweet relief. Thank God. But the point is, it's too early for kids to be getting up. 90% of high schoolers and 80% of middle schoolers start school before 8.30 a.m. I'm going to read from the article now. Some argue that delaying school start times would just cause teenagers to stay up later. But research doesn't actually support that idea. A systemic review published a year ago examined how school start delays affect students' sleep and other outcomes. Six studies, two of which were randomized controlled trials, showed that delaying the start of school from 25 to 60 minutes corresponded with increased sleep time of 25 to 77 minutes per weeknight. So in other words, kids wouldn't go um, to bed later. Yeah. Like, why are we punishing kids? Like, the typical adult work hour is 9 to 5. Why are yeah. we restricting I mean, yeah. kids to, sorry, you're not quite an adult yet, so fuck you. You have to wake up early. And speaking of adults, the parents have to get up to take care of their kids in the morning. Mm-hmm. I know my mom was all, always up. I don't think all parents did that, but I imagine many were. And then so you ask, well, does this actually lead to benefits outside of kids get, just getting to sleep in later? Well, a Brookings Institute policy, policy brief investigated the trade-offs between costs and benefits of pushing back the start times of high school in 2011, and it estimated that increased transportation costs would most likely be about 150 per student per year. That would be because of um, the adjusted busing schedules and working with other schools in the district. 
But more sleep has been shown to lead to higher academic achievement. They found that the added academic benefit of later start times would be equivalent to about two additional months of schooling, which they calculated would add about 17500 to a student's earnings over the course of a lifetime. Thus, the benefits outweighed the costs. And mm-hmm. another study also showed very positive results. But, I mean, that one little note right there, um, later start times would be equivalent to about two additional months of schooling. That's incredible because if people are If they were to awake. continue ending school at the same time. Yeah, why don't they just make it a later day as well? Yeah. Like, what is it about, like, 3 p.m.? Uh, or past 3 p.m. that people are just like scared shitless about probably because if you my guess is part of the calculus here is that if you end the school day later that you're eating into kids homework time and god knows right that that teachers love to give you a buttload of homework so because they have to like if they're if the students are more alert and more you know productive during during class why do they have to why do they need to give so much fucking homework (laughs) like if they're getting it all done during the day and they're getting extra sleep time that means that they're more alert they don't have like that extra one to two hours of trying to wake up during class because they had to wake up so fucking early you got to think about dinner time too and maybe extracurricular activities kids get home kids get home before the parents do anyways Mm, yeah like it's i mean it's all i mean it's it's all subjugated but i i I think if 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 kids if kids need an extra hour of sleep just so they can uh be more alert when class actually starts and not have to fight falling back asleep i just it, it, it makes sense i just don't think this is necessary i know some people have to get up super early in the morning to get to work anyway but i think in most cases could be wrong but i think in most cases people might be sleeping till 7 or 8 a.m is, is that too crazy to think once you get into no. the adult life <laughs> that sounds about you know, right there are some overall. people who are naturally early bird sleepers like they wake up at five or so because they like the idea of like being prepared but yeah. those people are franks it just it just see it really does seem wrong to me to make kids get up super early in the morning for apparently no good reason yeah um, if kids want to wake this, up early that's great but i don't they think won't we should, like i mean we shouldn't I mean, I don't think it gives like discipline for people, for kids to wake up early because all they're really doing is being sluggish. And like in my, in my, in my, like like my personal life, like waking up that fucking early, I was falling asleep until like third period. Yeah. Oh yeah. I remember that too. Put your head down on the desk, kind of doze off. Put your head down and like, yeah. And you like shake your head all of a sudden to try to wake up. Yeah, but like you, you miss I, I half would, of the the lecture. I would masturbate in the classroom to try and wake up. I told that story on Millennial, I'm sure. Oh my God, what? Oh God, I must have told this. It must have been a while ago, though. Maybe. Oh, so, I could never uh, masturbate in class. The wait, classrooms you, were so did you, cold. Did you actually <laughs> orgasm? <laughs> so in my English class, there was a couch up against the wall. And I built a little pillow wall around me. 
wait, wait, wait. Say that again. You did. There was a what all around you? I bu- I class? put pillows on the side of me and in front of me. So I made a little pillow wall, so people couldn't see I was doing it. And I did masturbate in class one time. Oh my Griffin, god! Griffin says okay. the sad oh. part is I remember Andrew telling the story before. <laughs> so does oh, Joel. Okay. Okay. <laughs> wait, do you? But but here's the critical question. Okay, I feel like. Hiding your junk under some pillows and like touching yourself is one thing. Did you did you finish completion? I believe I did, to the best of my recollection. I believe I did. In your pants? No, I had like my dick out. Did your dick out? (laughs) Yeah, I I had a pillow wall. Did you ejaculate on the pillows? Oh, I can't remember. This was back in seventh grade. Andrew, this must be like a uh, must have been a constant thing with you because I remember no, stories that happened you told once. me because you did it in carpools with your family. Yes, that's true. That's what? True. the same exact thing in the back of a minivan yes. while your siblings and your parents were sitting in the car. You would like oh that's true up a little bit and just be like that. That happened once. I was sitting in the back row. I had my Dell laptop. I had some porn downloaded to my computer, and I. <laughs> And I still remember it so vividly too. How do you even get into the right mental headspace for that? When I'm you're fucked like, up. When you're at that, sister are no, there with you. When you're at that age, if you brush up against a pole, like you're hard. Yeah, I think it was some long road trip to Virginia or something. Yeah, it was probably the vibrations from the car. I remember masturbating in 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 uh, my cousin's bedroom. Just by my like nobody else was in the room, but like it was my my female cousin's bedroom. That's not as scandalous. Uh, but yeah, pillow wall, pillow wall. We should, anyway, we should, yeah, we should talk in after dark at kids, some point to talk about like our embarrassing masturbation stories. <laughs> oh, I'm not embarrassed by know. any of these. Like in places that are. Anyway, the the only people who are benefiting from this is the coffee industry. Kids are drinking coffee in high school, middle school, maybe because they gotta they gotta wake up in the morning. So before we move into OK Cupid, I just need to fucking point out a couple of things that you guys missed during this school conversation. Okay. So we're talking about costs, right? So costs of operating public schools at the local level are fucking insane because public schools are constantly being limited in terms of their budgets. For reference, Marietta Valley in California reports that it needs $3.5 million to execute its transportation program, but that they only receive an average of $86,000 to do so. So when you're talking about extending the school day and increasing transportation costs, that sounds all well and good. But when the schools barely have enough money to pay for that, for the infrastructure of the program as it exists now, how are they going to pay for it if you extend the school day? Well, I mean, I, I mean, my, my argument was not really extend it, but just uh, push the entire thing back like an hour or or an hour and a half. Yeah. Like have instead of eight o'clock to three o'clock, it's nine o'clock to four o'clock. Well, yeah, but that's you're the still same amount of time. when you change when you change the hours of operation of the transportation that also increases the cost, which is why one of the caveats of this particular issue is increased cost of transportation. Yeah. Back in my day, we walked to school uphill both ways. They can all start walking again. I mean, the whole conversation (laughs) about the, like the government's budget on public schools 
is a, a conversation in itself. Yes, right. I agree. And so while I definitely like the idea of exploring the benefits of starting the school day a little bit later, I know when I was in school, I fucking hated getting there super early. Um, but with public education, everything is a trade-off. When you decide to make one monumental change, you're going to have to decide where you're taking funding away from, what program you are going to sap money away from in order to finance the new program that you're running because public schools don't get any fucking money. Right. Yeah. And like that should be something that, you know, the Department of Education should be tackling. Of course, yeah, well, they're not. Right fact, now, uh, the Department of Education is being run by people who believe in angels. So I don't think that's happening. Air attacks. Anyway, sorry. Had to say it. It was fucking pissing me off. I was sitting here. You guys were talking. I kept trying to cut in. And I was like, no. Laura was having audio issues. Yes. Sorry. Obviously. Well, I'm going <laughs> to edit it so it's less obvious. Yeah. That's why I said that. I mean, just... Yeah, she's angry. All right. Let us turn to F off Cupid. Why do you say F off? Uh, I'm trying I'm turning a new leaf. Um, all right, so I'm gonna load up. I've been listening to my peaceful piano playlist here on Spotify today to, to de stress and I'll play some of this music as we read some of these wonderful messages. Do you want do you wanna remind our listeners how Fuck off, Cupid works, Laura. Yeah. So this is the game where we take actual online dating interactions and we perform dramatic readings of them. Uh, so in this case, this first one, it's a one-sided conversation. I'll be reading the timestamps and Andrew will be reading the creepy messages. Okay. July 26th, 2014, 108 a.m. Turn on the music a little bit, Andrew. It's a little loud. There we go. Hey, how are you? August 24th, 2014, 2.30 a.m. Hey there. September 7th, 2014, 1.46 a.m. Hey. <laughs> October 2nd, 2014, 3.37 a.m. Hey, how are you? <laughs> December 11th, 2014, 6.51 p.m. Hey, how are you, Smiley? October, October 24th, 2015, 12.33 p.m. Hey, how are you, Smiley? December 4th, 2015, 5.07 a.m. Hey, how are you doing today, question mark smiley? <laughs> this music's getting intense. <laughs> January 18th, 2016, 12.13 p.m. Hey, how are you? <laughs> Who? Was this your conversation? No, no, no. This, oh, okay. this is somebody else's. So the entire thing was just... Hey, how hey. are you? Yeah. How are you? Yeah. From one person. For like two years. It's a long time. He's playing the long game. You know, or I don't want to assume they, they're playing the long game. Yeah. Gotta let that slow burn. Also worth noting that the user who was sending all these messages has disabled their account. 
So maybe they found love after all. They found love in a hopeless place. Yeah. Hey. I love this segment. <laughs> hey, how are you? Well, hey. he's a person. All right. Next one. <laughs> this music is just. <laughs> you know? All right, Chuck. Hi, Tinkerbell. I have to say you're very gorgeous. Just one glance caught my eyes like something rare, like seeing a diva off a red carpet runway. So, such as rainbow. That's so dazzling. You're like a luxury car. High quality, top rating, 100% equipped with the best performance. Definitely spectacular. If you were my lady, I'd treat you like a mother. <laughs> A mother with a newborn child with all of the utmost attention and just a king looking for his queen. I don't really put enough effort into writing a message like this, but you're truly worth it. All my dream is to find myself a female such as yourself. I'm like a fly being lured into the spider web. I'm hypnotized by it. I hope we get to talk more. You haven't <laughs> talked to each other at all. Tinkerbell? <laughs> Tinkerbell. Do you think that person just pastes that into as many windows as he oh, can? For sure. For sure. This is my favorite part. Just one <laughs> glance caught my eyes like something rare, like seeing a diva <laughs> off a red carpet runway, <laughs> such as a rainbow that's so dazzling. <laughs> there are way like, too many adjectives in this message. It's like a really bad spoken word poem. <laughs> it really is. I. I've read it like three times before the show to try and prepare myself. I can't not laugh. It's terrible. <laughs> High quality top rating 100%. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt and Elisa, your turn. All right. <clears throat> I'll give you an adventure. Not even remotely interested. Good. Because you almost got herpes. All right, then. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> what the? <laughs> you fucking what, mate? I love what? how I love how the guy the guy's response was like, like you just like barely missed it. Like it was <laughs> on the brink. Like he was almost about to like tap that. <laughs> That's a fucking amazing line. Good because you almost got herpes. Yeah, I'll be honest. That was a great comeback. Yeah, I it's give, better I than give like the guy props. It's like, great. Well, you almost had HIV. Yeah, I'm going to start using that one. Alrighty, Lisa. It's you and me for this last one. You ready? I'm ready. All right. <laughs> LOL. Uh-oh. I'm sensing some bitchiness. Perhaps it's time for dinner. Bummer, too. I was just starting to like you. Yeah, doesn't it suck when women have their own opinions and actually voice them? <laughs> LOL, no one said anything about your gender. Stop being a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how we play Fuck Off Cupid. Uh, my favorite ones are the timestamp ones. <laughs> that one that we read took place over a a year and a half yep it started in july 2014 and ended january 2016 like my god i actually kind of a funny story um i've been on dating apps recently i stopped because i'm banging somebody here in chicago oh who 
uh, none of your business, but I I had a funny thing happen a couple months ago, and I've been meaning to bring it up. So on Instagram, I had posted a couple of photos from Philadelphia Pride, during which I had a, a couple of photos with Trump dressed in drag, as well as somebody who was dressed as Hillary Clinton in prison gear like she was the the guy was wearing a, a uh, orange jumpsuit and <laughs> and uh, pri- Hillary prisoner was wearing a sign that said gays for Trump and I thought it was really funny I of course don't support Trump and I'm not a gay for Trump but I thought it was funny so I took a picture and I posted it on Instagram with the caption oh my god Hillary is here because the guy was wearing a Hillary mask and so I have these two like the I, I have these two photos that to a stranger you might think that I'm pro-Trump. So on OkCupid, I started talking with this guy. And he's like, I don't know how politics get brought up, but they do. And he's like, yeah, by the way, I'm a Republican. I sort of got that vibe from you, too, given your Instagram photos. Oh, and, God. And I had completely blanked on these photos. I was like, what are you talking about? So I'm thinking and thinking, and then I finally go and look, and I see these two photos. I'm like, oh, holy shit. He thinks I'm a Republican because of these photos. And then I was thinking, people on Tinder and OkCupid could see these photos. What if I I missed out on so many guys because they thought I was pro-Trump? So I went and I deleted these two Instagrams because I can never have that mistake happen again. Yeah, that's a pretty egregious fuck-up, Andrew. Not going to lie. Yeah. I mean, to people who follow me, they know I'm pro, I was pro, pro Hillary. So like th- they got it, but then, but it didn't, it never dawned on me that strangers could be looking and thinking I actually supported Trump. It was terrible. I, I, I regret that very much. Anyway, that is today's episode of Millennial in After Dark today over on patreon.com slash millennial, which by the way, since it's the first week of the month. This week's After Dark and Hashing It Out will be available to $2 patrons. We're going to be doing something lighter. What the fuck news edition? We have a bunch of news stories that are just mind-blowing that we are going to be talking about in After Dark. Our closing music this week decided while Laura was getting her shit together. Supposed computer expert can't get her microphone working. Okay. Yeah, you can uh, suck my dick. Beyonce, she contributed to the song Mi Gente. It's an updated version version featuring Beyonce. Uh, and Wait, what song? Mi Gente? Is it Spanish? Probably. Gente. Mi Gente. <laughs> God. Wait, is it, it, it's, is it J-E-N-T-E? No, G. Yeah, it's still Gente. Mi Gente. Okay, so our closing song is Mi Gente featuring Beyonce. This version was just released to benefit the people of Puerto Rico. Visit our website, millennialshow.com, to get all the information you need about this show, including pronunciations for all the mistakes that I make (laughs) on every episode of Millennial. We'd also love your support over on patreon.com slash millennial. We're going to be releasing very soon... The first couple pieces of Palace Intrigue. There's a couple of installments of Landy already released. And we are live streaming every single episode now. Thanks to everybody who has been listening and participating in the comments. 
very helpful when the listeners are in the comments. Thanks to them, I knew that I already told the story about masturbating and ejaculating in my seventh grade classroom. Sticky. I'm Andrew. I'm Elisa. I'm Laura. And I'm Matt. See everybody next time. Goodbye. Si el ritmo te lleva a mover la cabeza y empezamos como es. Mi música no discrimina a nadie, así que vamos a romper. Con lo mío todos se mueven. La fiesta la llevo en mis genes. Yo soy la reina de los nenes. Mi gente no se detiene y aquí nadie se detiene. Si el ritmo está en tu cabeza, ahora suéltate y muévelo.